0: Moving along here in the book of Genesis, we come now to the story of Joseph or at least the beginning of his story, Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to read the first 11 verses reading from the New King James Version. Now, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was the son with the with the sons of Bilhah And the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel, that is Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There were binding sheaves in the field. Then, behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And so he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I, your brothers, indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. And so reads the words from God's infallible scriptures, we, as I said, turn now to this chapter and we read this, perhaps to many of us, familiar story of the beginning of the life of Joseph. So let me begin by asking you, have you ever been called a tattletale? Maybe not recently, but sometime in your life. In these verses, Joseph appears to be something of a tattletale. Most people who are taught Bible stories as children usually remember the story of Joseph well into adulthood. If you'll allow me a personal reference, I know that I do. I remember as a boy reading a Bible story book full of color drawings and pictures, and the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors has always stayed vividly in my mind. But what many people who heard this story as children could not understand was the intense envy and resentment of his brothers. As we saw, the way his brothers feel about him is no ordinary envy. They grew to hate this boy to the point where they intend to murder him. In verse 2, we see and learn that Joseph was like the rest of the men of his family. He was a shepherd. And we read that he brought a bad report about his many brothers to his father Jacob Israel. Remember, he's been renamed Israel, so for a time we're going to say Jacob Israel. And we read there about how in doing that, he did not gain any popularity. And as a matter of fact, telling something about others who've done something wrong has never been a very popular thing to do. We will never win any popularity contest by being unswervingly honest in all of our dealings. And when we are committed to honesty like that, the people who take evil and wickedness as not a big deal, well, they will call you at least a tattletale or worse in that kind of scenario. So right up front in this story, we've got to decide for ourselves what we are going to make of it. How do we see Joseph here? Does it maybe bother you and me a a little bit that he comes to his daddy with a bad report about his brother's? So this story, in other words, confronts us with the question of priorities. How we deal with our own encounters with evil and dishonesty among the people we know. This isn't a bunch of people that he has no idea who they are, and he goes and tells on them. These are his own brothers. What are our priorities in such a situation, or maybe even others? I read about a man who faced that kind of question. This goes back some years ago. The man's name is Cleveland Stroud. As far as I know, he's still alive. Mr. Stroud was, at the time this story took place, that I'm telling you, head basketball coach for the Rockdale County High School in Conyers, Georgia. Well, all those many years ago, he was leading his basketball team to a championship season, 21 wins, only five losses. And in the state finals, the team pulled out a dramatic come-from-behind victory. But you know something today, if you visit the Rockdale High School gymnasium and you look at the big glass trophy case there, you won't find the Georgia State trophy inside. And you won't find it because not long after their victory, the Georgia State High School Athletic Association deprived Rockdale of the title. Now, they took that action because officials at Rockdale reported to the association that a player on that championship team who was on probation because of bad grades, actually played a total of 45 seconds in several of the school's postseason games. Now, let me tell you what Coach Stroud said, because Coach Stroud is the one that went to the school administration to report this. He said, we did not know that he was not eligible to play at the time. We only found out about it a few weeks ago. He said, there are some people who told us that we should just keep this quiet. It was only 45 seconds, and the player was not one of your, our better-known stars. But he said, I told my team that people will forget soon enough the scores in a basketball game, but they don't ever forget what you are made of. My friends, our Lord and King Jesus Christ expects that kind of faithfulness from His people. How faithful we are, even in the seemingly small and inconsequential things, will prove how faithful and trustworthy we are in the bigger things in life. Now, in verse 3, we learn about this man, Jacob Israel, that he loves Joseph more than the other children. We're told Joseph is his youngest boy, and not only that, he's also the son of Rachel, who has died by this point, Jacob's favorite wife. He loved her more than the other wives. And then we are told about the, the famous coat of many colors, That coat served to indicate that Joseph was being shown special honor and distinction by his father. That coat was much more than a nice little gift given to him by his daddy. The coat set Joseph apart from the rest of the brothers as the favored one of his father. It likely meant that he would inherit the birthright. See, among those ancient peoples, the wearing of a special robe or a cloak had Symbolism, it symbolized royalty on some level. So when Jacob gave Joseph the coat, it sent the signal to the rest of the family that Joseph is the one who would be recognized as the head of the family. And verse 4 gives us some idea of what Joseph's brothers thought about their father's decision. They hated Joseph for it. Verse 4 says they hated him so much they couldn't even bring themselves to speak to him. And let's also note the following about this. I'm not numbering these points, but this is one of the points we need to think about. Jacob was probably not being too smart by showing obvious favoritism in a family of 12 sons. But we know from the previous chapters and from the background of this man that he was prone to showing partiality. I mentioned that he had four wives or he had other wives. Rachel was his favorite among them. And this caused him to be separated from his mother, Rebekah. And it was going to eventually cause Joseph, his favorite son, to be separated from the whole family. But there's another thing here, is that what's taking place is much larger than bad family dynamics. It has a much more universal point. It goes far beyond this mere issue of parental favoritism, of rivalry among brothers. It all plays a part in God's plan to bring the promised Messiah into the world. This is the movement of all older covenant history. It's moving toward that great hope, that blessed event, the the, the focus of all human history and culture. Some people in our time are going to say, oh, he's talking about the second coming. No, it's the birth, life, resurrection, and lordship and ascension of Christ Jesus, our King. What we typically call the Advent season. That's the movement, the sweep of older covenant history. That's the point, the last day to which it points. Let me call to your remembrance something that God told Abraham way back in Genesis fifteen thirteen. Now I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible for this one. My own translation thrown in a little bit. Then Yahweh said to Abram, Know this for certain your offspring will be foreigners in a land that does not belong to them. They will be enslaved and oppressed, depending on whether you're reading the Septuagint or the so-called Masoretic text, 400 or 430 years, Uh, oppressed 400 years, we'll say. So Yahweh told Abraham about the future enslavement of the Israelites in the land of Egypt. The bondage of Israel in Egypt, that's an important part of this larger plan of God's work. But how in the world does a little family like Jacob's become an entire nation like the Israelites, and how do they get from the land of Canaan, far, far away from the land of Egypt? Well, it all goes back to what we're learning about right here with Joseph and his wicked brothers. But Jacob's love for Joseph... That also represents God's love for his people. This, too, is a part of the larger redemptive historical imagery here. And the hatred of Joseph's brothers, that symbolizes the hatred of the sinner toward the holy things of God. Joseph's unfair treatment, his being hated, is for no other reason than that his father loves him, and he loves his father, that he is totally committed to honesty and to truth. And that represents the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, who himself was hated and despised for many of the same reasons. But now another thing that we learn from this passage, and this is another one of these points I'm not numbering here, but if we look at verses 5 through 11 again, we see that if we are faithful to the Lord even in these little things, He may use us to accomplish big things in His kingdom. And we have this issue of dreams. You know, dreams have always been sort of a source of mystery and confusion for people. And so maybe we need to get some things straight about this up front. I say that because some people have some crazy ideas about dreams that they have. But let's say, first of all, God used dreams to confirm Joseph as the one to be the leader of the covenant family. He did that. Jacob had already made the decision, and now God confirms it through these dreams that Joseph has. And we know that God has used dreams before to communicate his will and reveal his truth. He spoke to Abraham in a dream. He spoke to King Abimelech in a dream. God spoke to Jacob through dreams several times. And God warned the evil Uncle Laban in a dream not to harm Jacob. In Joseph's dreams, he used the symbols of sheaves of grain and the sun, moon, and stars to represent Joseph and his brothers and his parents. Now, we know the Bible frequently communicates the truth of God by means of signs and symbols. And you know, the fact is, and we see this especially in the area of Bible prophecy, as it's called, if we don't pay careful attention to those things, God's use of signs and symbols, then we can get way off base and misunderstand it. That's why we have Holy Scripture. Because the Bible, unlike a dream, is clear. It is a total word. You know, God could have given us... A holy, divine book full of pictures and images, but he didn't do that. By God's divine decree, we have holy scripture, not the holy picture book. But it uses words to paint pictures with words sometimes, and it's important to know that. Everything God wants us to know, however, about his will and his plan for any and everything is set forth in the pages of the words of holy scripture. And that's not an accident. But having said that, we on occasion encounter people, as I mentioned a moment ago, who they believe that their dreams have very deep and even prophetic meanings for their lives. But God's law word says this. Listen carefully. I'm reading from, I'm jumping over to Revelation chapter 22. We read this. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book say, well, what's that got to do with dreams? It has to do with this. If God is still revealing things today through dreams and visions and prophetic utterances, then that means that this verse that I just read, Revelation twenty two eighteen, it doesn't make any sense. It means that every time you have a dream in which you believe God has spoken some truth to you, then the dream just has as much authority as the Bible. In the book of Hebrews that we heard in our New Testament reading today, there is a direct teaching that however God may have chosen to communicate with his people in the past, with the coming of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles, all of that has changed. His former ways have passed. Now we no longer rely on prophets and dreams or visions and seers because we have his perfect, complete, absolutely trustworthy word in Holy Scripture. Now, you may ask, well, are you saying that God can't communicate to people through dreams and visions in this day and time? Look, I'm not telling God what he can and cannot do. I'm not so stupid as that. But I'm pointing out to you that God's word, where he tells us, he himself tells us what he will or will not do. And the question may be, could God communicate something to you in a dream? Well, certainly he could if he chose to. But I can assure you this, God will never contradict himself. And if you dream something that is in any way contrary to what God has revealed in his word, then you can be certain that your dream was not from God. So let me just give you an example of a, a, quote, dream that maybe we could say at least doesn't contradict God's word. You know, if you have a dream and you have some awareness that the Lord is telling you in that dream, however that may be, That he wants you to be more faithful in your church attendance. He wants you to study scripture more. That he wants you to obey his law in the Ten Commandments. I I can't imagine how that is a problem as a dream. On the other hand, if you have a dream where God says, Joe, Sally, I'm revealing this to you and nobody else. I'm adding another three or four laws to my Ten Commandment laws, and I want you to write these down, and I want you to publish them and see if you can get them in all the new editions of the Bible. If you have a dream like that, I can assure you, friend, that's not from God. So the main point, though, that we need to understand about those dreams, the dreams in this time of Joseph, is that each time Joseph told his brothers about them, it made them very, very angry. Listen again to verse 8, or look at it if you have your Bible open. Look, listen how they respond to him. The brother said, shall we indeed reign over you, or shall indeed you have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for the dreams and what he said. In other words, really, Joseph? You are going to rule over us? You really believe that we're going to bow down to you? Those guys didn't know whether to laugh at him or to cry. Tidal brother is telling them this. Because if anybody, it was obviously not going to rule over them, it was him. And then in verse 9, we have the, the star astronomical imagery. The sun represents Jacob. The moon is his mother, probably Leah, since Rachel had died. And the 11 stars symbolize his brothers. So this dream is like the other dream that he had, where Joseph is seen to rule over and reign over his family. And now this dream shows his family bowing down to Joseph submitting to his rule. And, of course, that makes the brothers hate him even more. But do you notice, if you look at verse 11, that despite his rebuke of Joseph, Jacob, Israel, is said to it, In the New King James, it says, he kept all this in mind. Let me tell you, it literally translated from the Hebrew reads, he held on to what Joseph said. Jacob sees something that makes him realize that the Lord is at work in this. And when the Lord decrees that something is to happen, it will happen. I want you to allow to, to prove this to you. I'm going to jump ahead just for a few seconds. Allow me to jump ahead in the story by several decades and, and several chapters. You can just keep your Bibles open to where it is. I'm going to read a few chapters ahead and to show you how God's will is always accomplished in his time and in his way. And, Genesis 41, we read this. Then Pharaoh, at this point, Joseph is in Egypt. We'll find out. You probably already know how he finds his way to Egypt. And then because of a famine, his family comes into Egypt, or at least his brothers do. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Now, what I read to you takes place many years after the episode we've just read about in chapter 37. So Joseph is not only going to rise higher than anyone else in his family, he is going to become the number two man in the most powerful nation on earth at the time. Now, jumping ahead, another few chapters in Genesis 43, referring to Joseph's brothers When Joseph came home, he's still in Egypt, they brought into the house to him, that is the brothers, they've come to Egypt, they've found him, and so they bring into the house the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. They didn't realize who he was right away. They bowed down before him just as God declared they would. Do we see that the things that happen in life, can, can we take this away from it? We should. That the things that happen in life are not haphazard, random occurrences without any rhyme or reason. But everything in our lives is a part of the total plan of God for us. So in a, quest- in, a, in, a, in a way, there are two questions here. One is the question of your priorities. But secondly, what are you doing about this knowledge of God's plan and purpose in life? Are we being faithful to the Lord even in the little things as we consider the story of Joseph and his brothers Where do you, where do I, where do we fit into this picture? Are we more like the faithful and obedient Joseph? Or are we more like his hateful brothers and jealous brothers? Do we seriously believe that we have the power to ruin the plan and purpose of God in life? A woman by the name of Margaret Nicole knew people who thought that way, that they could do that. They could ruin God's plan. This woman was born in the 1960s, the early 1960s, into the family of a Christian minister when the communist government ruled Bulgaria. The government murdered her mother and father because they refused to deny Christ. Margaret, it turned out, became an excellent musician. She went on to achieve international fame as a violinist, even going so far as to become the concert master of the then East German Dresden Symphony. But because of her Christian faith and her witness, she was constantly subjected to physical and emotional harassment and cruelty by government authorities. She was eventually sentenced to a long prison term, which she was to begin serving immediately after the conclusion of the then or the following concert season of the year. But God had other plans. In 1982, Margaret Nicole was invited to play in the Vienna-Austria symphonies during the Easter week concerts. The government of Bulgaria repeatedly denied her permission to go, but bowing to international pressure, they gave her permission. They gave in, and as soon as she arrived in Vienna, she requested political asylum, and no less than five different countries offered her citizenship and full freedom. So much for the plans of a tyrannical government. Today, Margaret Nicole, so far as I know, is still alive, and she's a very busy woman, but not playing the violin, at least not like she did at one time, because she travels the world on behalf of a Christian ministry in her native Bulgaria. The tyrannical government is gone from Bulgaria, but the church of Jesus Christ remains. When we think about Joseph here, naively telling these dreams to his enraged brothers. When we read what happens to him through his life, we come to realize that he had no idea what he was in for. He was going to face misery and sorrow and heartache and betrayal and face even death before the Lord's purpose was accomplished through him. But through it all, I believe Joseph never doubted that the Lord was working things out according to his plan. And Joseph, well, he was just the sort of man that was willing to believe that God probably had a better idea about things than he did. Friends, when we find ourselves surrounded by people who hate us and resent us, when we see trouble and trial all around, like we certainly do today, turn it all over to our Heavenly Father. If you are a child of God this morning, if you are in covenant with Yahweh, the true God, the Lord has a purpose in your trials and in your suffering. And if you don't remember anything else from this study today and from this from the life of Joseph please remember this. If you know that God's hand is in everything, you can leave everything in God's hand. Let us pray.